There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. The corn is as high as a elephant's eye, and it looks like it's climbing clear up to the sky. Oh, what a beautiful morning! Oh, what a beautiful day! I got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. A lot of folks have written me to say that they really like the Railroad Hour, and the Railroad Hour went all summer long. So when uh, Bing Crosby's show went off the air in the summer, there were more episodes of the Railroad Hour. So I thought. Uh, as we're going to start up our season, a lot of shows are still have a couple weeks left before they start up. I thought, why not do kind of a railroad hour marathon thing over the next few days? And uh, I hope you have fun with it. This first one, in tying in with Bing Crosby, I have Casey at Bat, the Disney version of it, uh, at least the soundtrack of it, and uh, give you a chance to hear that. And it's narrated by Jerry Colonna, who of course is famous for being on the Bing Crosby show and the Bob Hope show. And so I thought that was a nice little tie-in. So after that version of Casey at Bat, which is only like eight minutes long, then we will go ahead and play the version of Casey at Bat from the Railroad Hour and hear Gordon McRae's version of it, which is a lot of fun. And then following that, we will have the next performance, a bonus episode, which is Springtime in Paris. And I think you'll really enjoy that as well. So let's have a great night and enjoy two episodes of Gordon McRae's Railroad Hour. And then we'll bring you some more later in the week. Enjoy. really worried when Cooney went to bat, but all he had to offer was 300 pounds of fat. Ah, but Cooney was determined. He tried to do his worst. He kept his batting average all right. And as usual, died at first.
one in the lineup was no hit Jimmy Blake. Of all the mugs in Mudville, he was the biggest fake. But he was really blazing into the wonderment of all. Blake the fake for the cover off the bar. Dust had lifted and they saw what had occurred. There was Jimmy, safe at second, and Flynn a hug at her. Cozy, isn't it? You're safe! Mostly the ladies. Casey's the guy who's the idol of all. But mostly the ladies. Casey is mighty and manly. Casey's a dangerous gent. Egad, when he goes to bat, hang on to your hat. He's batting a thousand percent with the ladies. Oh, Casey has nerve and he knows every curve. He's no hokey pokey. He gets away with that old double play. He's your okey-dokey. He makes all the ladies go gaga, it's true. No wonder they swoon when he comes into view. He was the Sinatra of 1902. Pitcher's nerves were jagged, and his knees began to shake. One eye was watching Flynn, and the other eye watching Blake. While the frightened pitcher ground the ball into his hip, defiance screamed in Casey's eye. A sneer curled Casey's lip. <laughs> and now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood a-watching it in haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped. That is my style, said Casey. The umpire said, from the benches black with people, there went up a mighty roar, like the beating of the ocean on a stern and distant shore. Kill him! Kill the umpire! Yelled a cutie from the stand. And it's likely they'd have killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult and bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the steroid flew. But Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, quote, the right to, unquote. Fraud cried the maddened thousands, and the echo answered, fraud! And one scornful look from Casey, the audience was awed. They saw his face go stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain. And they knew that Casey would not let that ball go by again. Snare is gone from Casey's lip. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence. His back upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball. And now he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, ho, 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 ho. 
no joy in Mudvin. Mighty Casey has struck out. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Railroad Hour. And here comes our summer show train. Tonight, the Association of American Railroads presents a new musical play by Lawrence and Lee. A great baseball memory, Casey at the Bat, starring Gordon McRae and his guest, lovely Dorothy Warren Show. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is arranged and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight the premiere of another new operetta is brought to you by the American Railroads. The same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life. And now, here is our star, Gordon McRae. Thank you, Marvin Miller, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Baseball fever is running high coast to coast, on sand lots and in big league parks. And that's why we're bringing you a musical version of one of the great yarns in baseball history. Dorothy Warnshold will be a lovely strawberry blonde named Peg, and I shall be Casey, mighty Casey, in Casey at the Bat. Play ball! Casey struck out. I guess I ought to know, because I'm Casey. You want to know why they mention my name first when they talk about the bonehead goose in baseball history? Well, I'll tell you. Did you ever meet a girl who made you melt inside like an ice cream cone in a kid's hand on a sunny day in the bleachers? Well, I did. Her name was Peg. She had hair that was all soft and kind of strawberry colored. We was batting a thousand, me and her. Guess I'll never forget the way we used to dance together in that big outdoor pavilion out by the lake. And the band sounded as if angels was playing. Oh, Casey, you shouldn't hold me so close. Everybody's watching us. Of course everybody's watching us. Well, that's because you're the most famous person in all of Mudville. Oh, no. It's because of you. They're all jealous because I'm dancing with the most beautiful girl in the whole United States. Oh, make like a hoop and roll away. You know what they're saying? I'll tell you. Casey, he waltzed with the strawberry blonde and the band played on. Glide across the floor with a girl he adored And the band played on But his brain was so loaded it nearly exploded The poor girl would shake with alarm He'd nearly leave the girl with the strawberry curls And the band played on Casey would waltz with the strawberry blonde And the band played on Adored and the band played on. His brain 
was so loaded it nearly exploded. The poor girl would shake with alarm. Meet Nanny, the girl with the strawberry curls, and the band played on. Oh, gee, gee whiz, Casey. I got something awful important to ask you, Peg. Yes, Casey. I gotta be frank with you, Peg. I, I, I ain't never gone to the plate before on a pitch like this. My knees is shaking like I was a raw rookie. Well, say anything you want to, Casey. I want you to marry me, Peg. Oh, I know I'm just a big, dumb baseball player. But I love you, Peg. Oh, I want to marry you, Casey. You do? Yes, but you've got to promise me one thing. Oh, anything, anything you want. You want me to hit four home runs Sunday, I'll hit five. No, Casey. I, I want you to promise me you'll only stay in Mudville for another season. Where you want to go, honey? Oh, to Philadelphia, where there's culture, libraries and art museums and, and symphony orchestras. Baby, if you marry me, you can have all the culture your little heart desires. You'll choke on culture. Well, Peg married me all right. We got hitched up 11 years ago last March 29th. You know, she's still the prettiest strawberry blonde you ever saw. I uh, forgot to mention it, though. We're still living in Mudville. Peg, she don't like that much. Me? I ain't got nothing against Mudville. It ain't one of them metropolises like Terre Haute, and I like it. But Peg, she thinks our boy Timmy, he's ten now, ain't getting no culture at all, especially around baseball players. Should have seen what happened one day in the locker room after a Tuesday afternoon game early in June. Gee, Dad, that was a keen game. Baseball's a lot more fun than long division. Why, sure it is, Timmy. Hey, how'd you like that pitcher's outside curve? Cooney and Burroughs couldn't get on to him, but you fooled him, Pop. Gee, three home runs. <laughs> well, it's an off day, Timmy. It's an off day. Hey, Hank, Joe. Yeah, Casey? Come here, will you? I want to show my boy the pleasures of baseball, even in the locker room. You know, son, you, you hear a lot about barbershop quartets, but there ain't nothing in the world as mellow as a locker room quartet. Even the cement walls like to join in. Fellas, come on, lean in close and sing it real sweet, huh? Sweet at Sweet My Casey, please, not in the locker room. There are gentlemen in various stages of undress. Out of my way. Ah, just as I thought. Timmy, you're playing hooky from school again. Well, Mom, I didn't exactly... I told him he could. There was a picture he hadn't seen before, and I figured his Just how... as I thought. Timmy, how do you ever expect to be educated? I don't want to be educated, Mom. I want to be a baseball player. Oh, what am I going to do with you? Mom, what good's long division? I want to learn how to pitch an outside curve. His teacher, Miss Abernathy, don't know a thing about curves. Oh, that settles it. I'm packing up and I'm leaving you. I'm taking Timmy and we're going to Philadelphia. Oh, Peggy, you can't. I've waited 11 years to get out of the mud of Mudville, and this settles it. This is it, Casey. For I must leave thee Do not let the parting grieve thee For the time has come for you and I to say Goodbye Peg, no Adieu 
stay with me. Listen, please. Oh, I'll hang my heart on a weeping willow tree. gonna do uh, i don't know casey she won't listen to me yeah, i'm afraid your wife has the soul of an umpire <laughs> what would i do in philadelphia hank i like mudville i like playing ball here i'm i'm real happy here yeah yeah casey you can't let some dame run your life for you call strikes on you all the time you're right hank you're right you gotta forget dames and play ball For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the the second act of our musical version of Casey at the Bat, starring Gordon McRae as Casey and Dorothy Warrenshold as Mrs. Casey. Summer's supposed to be a happy time, a home run hitting time, but not for me. Not that summer. You never seen a batting average take such a slump in all your life. You gotta think home runs before you hit them. And I was walking around in a daze like a lame bunt, remembering how wonderful my summers used to be, with Peg at the parlor piano in the twilight, singing to Timmy and to me. There's a time in each year that we always hold dear, good old summertime. Trees and the sweet scented breezes, good old summertime. When your day's work is over, then you are in clover, and life is one beautiful rhyme. No trouble annoying, each one is enjoying the good old summertime. In the good old summer. to an empty house. No pig, no Timmy, no music. On the big day of the year out at the ballpark, our annual grudge game with Midtown, I just didn't have no heart to play at all. So I went up to the manager and said, Hank, Hank, you might as well bench me. I'm no good. I'm all washed up. Look, Casey, so the girl walked down on you. Try to forget her. Oh, I can't, Hank. I'm in love with Pig. 
And I miss Timmy. And will this one day try to forget, huh? It's the big game case. We need you. We need you with your old spirit. Give the fans their money's worth. They like their old cocky, swaggering Casey. Yeah, I guess I have been letting the fans down, Hank. And like you always said, boss, the fans the most important part of the game. Okay, Hank, I'll swagger today plenty. But I wish I felt more like swaggering inside. Well, you all know what happened that day. It was a pretty famous game. It got that way because a newspaper man named Mathair set it all down in sort of a poem. And here's exactly the way it happened. chance that I would ever get to bat. But Flynn let drive a single to the wonderment of all. And the much despised at Blakey tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust had lifted and we saw what had occurred, there was Blakey safe on second and Flynn a hug in third. And from the gladdened multitude went up a joyous yell. It bounded from the mountaintop and rattled down the dell. Stuck upon the hillside, rebounded on the flat. I stepped into my place, tried to swagger like Hank told me, with a smile upon my face. And when, responding to the cheers, I lightly doffed my hat, no stranger in the crowd could doubt, t'was Casey at the back. Ten thousand eyes were on me as I rubbed my hands with dirt, five thousand tongues applauded. As I wiped them on my shirt And while the writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip Defiance from Casey's eye, a steer from Casey's lip And now the leather-covered spear came hurtling through the air And I just stood a-watching it in haughty grandeur there Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped that ain't my style, said Casey. Right one, the umpire said. From the bleachers black with people, there arose a solid roar, like the beat of the waves upon the stern and distant shore. Hey, kill him! Kill the umpire! Shouted someone from the stand, and it's likely they'd have done it if I hadn't. Raise my hand With a smile of Christian charity Great Casey's visit shone I still the rising tumult And I bad 
to the pitcher. And again the spheroid flew. Butchers truly still ignored it. And the umpire said... Achoo! And the echo answered, Roar! One scornful look from me, and then the audience was on. All right, Sneed, let her come. We saw his face grow stern and cold. We saw his muscles strain. And they knew that I just could not let that ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lip. His teeth are clenched with hate. I pound with cruel violence my bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball. And now he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the voice of Casey's back from Philadelphia. You shouldn't have run away from your mother. Well, Pop, we was there in Philadelphia having all that culture, and I guess even Mom got a little tired of it, because I caught her looking at your picture and crying. No kidding? So I went up to her and I said, Mom, no good ball player only gets one crack at the plate. Why even ball players who bat 400 strike out once in a while? I guess she agreed, because she came back here with me. She here to me? Right there in the stands. Hiya, Casey. Go on and kiss her, Pop. Hey, Pop. Hey, Casey. Hey, Jim. Bat her up. Hi, Casey. Hi, Mrs. Casey. You're glad to see me. Glad? I'm going to take you in my arms, you strawberry blonde, you, and waltz you around the whole ballpark. Casey, he waltzed with a strawberry blonde, and the band played on. He glided across the floor with a girl he adored, and the band played on. His brain was so loaded, it nearly exploded. The poor girl would shake with alarm. He'd nearly Strawberry curls and the band played Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. We had a lot of fun doing that, let me tell you. Dorothy Warren Show will be back in just a moment. And meanwhile, our heartfelt thanks to Herb Vigran, Jeffrey Silver, Marvin Miller, and to our entire company. Casey at the Bat, based on the famous poem by Ernest Thayer, was made into a musical by Lawrence and Lee. And now, here's lovely Dorothy Warren Show again.
Howdy, Dorothy. And believe me, you are a major league wife for a minor league ball player. Why, thank you, Gordon. Tell me, what are we playing next week? Well, it's just a sleeper jump to Paris, Dorothy, and the show train will be pulling into the city on the Seine with some of the sweetest music ever written. Do you like uh, April in Paris? Oh, I simply love it. Well, that's just one of the songs we'll be singing together next Monday night, Dorothy. Uh, tell me, shall I um, polish up my French accent? Oui, oui? Oh, mais non, mais non. <laughs> <laughs> we both play a couple of Americans, Dorothy, who fall in love in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower. And we hope you'll all be with us a week from tonight for the premiere performance of another new operetta, Springtime in Paris. All aboard! Well, sir, it looks as though we're ready to pull out. And so until next Monday night... And the premiere performance of Springtime in Paris. This is Gordon McRae saying goodbye. Gordon McRae can soon be seen in Warner Brothers on Moonlight Bay. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. This is Marvin Miller saying goodbye until next week for the American Railroads. Now stay tuned for your Monday night of music on NBC. Nadine Connor on The Voice of Firestone on NBC. Ladies and gentlemen, the Railroad Hour. And here comes our summer show train. The Association of American Railroads presents the great music of the city of Paris in a brand new musical play by Lawrence and Lee. It's Springtime in Paris, starring Gordon McRae and his guest star Dorothy Warren Show. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight another delightful musical premiere is brought to you by the American Railroads, the same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn and all the other things you use in your daily life. And now, here is our star, Gordon McRae. Thank you. Thank you, Marvin Miller, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, sir, tonight we're traveling to the most romantic city in the world for a delightful musical love story. I'll be the boy... Dorothy Warren shoulders the girl in springtime in Paris. Paris. It's a city every girl dreams about. All the time at the office, staring at the typewriter, I never really saw the keys at all. A-S-D-F, shift key, space bar, semicolon, dollar sign. Yes, Mr. Benson, right away, Mr. Benson. I'll type up the invoices immediately, sir. Original and seven copies. But all I could see in the typewriter was a face. Up by the roller, his hair, wavy, like Louis Jourdain, where the ribbon is, his eyebrows like Jean Sablon. His eyes were tabulator keys, and they stared up at me like Jean Gabin. And the space bar was his lip, just like Charles Boyer. 
Oh, that, that's why I did without nylons and skipped two lunches a week. So I could save up enough to come to Paris and maybe meet him to Paris in the beautiful month of April. Mike Martin, and I'm stuck in Paris. I'm an ex-GI overseas who decided to stay overseas. Now I can't get home, and at the moment, the most romantic place in the world to me is the good old USA. Why did I stay here in the first place? Well, I was looking for a girl. You know the kind of girl I mean, the girl you couldn't meet any place in the world but in Paris. Simone, Simone. Michelle Morgan, with a little Daniel Dollar thrown in. Way beforehand, you can see her. You know the color of her hair, the way her eyes will look at you. The kind of girl you have to go 3,000 miles to meet. But I haven't met her, so I'm working as a waiter. A French waiter at a sidewalk cafe. So I can make enough francs to get back to the States. And mister, when you want to go home... Even the left bank and springtime and Paris and April are unromantic. Well, almost. April, Paris. Chestnuts in blossom. Holiday tables under the trees. April in Paris, oh, this is a feeling no one can ever reprise. I never knew the charm of spring, never met it. My heart could sing, never miss a warm embrace till April in Paris. Whom can I run to? Oh, what have I done to my? Michel. Oh, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where do you get this Michel stuff? My name's Mike. Ah, if you wish to work here in my cafe, you must be Michel. Paris is full of rich American tourists. When they come to sit at my cafe under the trees, they do not wish a waiter named Mike. You are Michel. Okay, okay. From now on, I'm Michel. Oh, you big lummox. <laughs> uh, uh, what is this expression, lummox? 
Oh, it's uh, a new American saying. It means uh, b- b- bon gentilhomme, a uh, fine gentleman. Oh. <laughs> Merci. And uh, now to work, Michel. Oh, oui, oui, Monsieur Lamarck. <laughs> I be summary chevalier that even his mother won't know the difference. Ah, 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 first customer. Go quickly. A young lady at the front table. A young lady? Bonjour, mademoiselle. Huh? Oh. Bonjour. Well, that was all we said. Just bonjour. But we kept staring at each other for the longest time. And I knew it was the face in the typewriter. I knew it the minute I looked into his wonderful romantic tabulator keys. Uh, I mean, his eyes. Oh, he was the most romantic Frenchman in the world. Ah, mademoiselle. An April day in the city of Paris can be full of clouds. Or full of fat American tourists. But then a lovely girl like you walks into one's life. And how you say it, you see the world through rose-colored glasses. Hold me close and hold me fast. The magic spell you cast. This is love When you kiss me heaven's side and though I close my eyes, I see love When you press me to your heart, I'm in a a world where roses bloom, and when you speak, angels sing from above. Everyday words seem to turn into love songs. Give your heart and soul. And life will always be love. I just couldn't tell him I was plain old Sarah Jones from the USA. I I knew how much these wonderful Frenchmen resented rich American tourists. Of course, I wasn't rich, but I was a tourist. And gee, his nose and his lips. Well, they never looked that wonderful on my typewriter. (laughs) 
Suddenly it was springtime. The whole world was alive. We walked arm in arm down the Champs-Élysées. It was April, and I was in love. In love? Oh, April and Paris. Oh, what a Turn for the second act of Springtime in Paris in just a moment. Remember the good old days, the days when a dollar was still a dollar and when it wasn't so hard to stretch your income to cover your outgo? That problem of making ends meet is particularly difficult if your income has not increased as much as prices generally have gone up. Now, that same problem is a matter of real concern to America's railroads. It will cost the nation's railroads over a billion dollars more to provide this year's transportation service than it would have cost even at the wage and price levels of two years ago. And in the past dozen years, the percentage of increase in the prices railroads must pay for the materials and services they use in producing transportation has been more than three times as great as the increase in the average revenue they get for hauling a ton of freight one mile. Today, railroad freight rates, when compared to prices generally, are actually lower than they were before the start of World War II. What's more, these mounting increases have come at a time when the railroads have been spending at the rate of $1 billion a year to expand and improve every part of their service. And this year, with expenses still increasing, the railroads are committed to spending another billion and a quarter dollars in order to produce better the quantity and quality of transportation that is essential both for defense and for civilian needs. As the head of any family knows, there inevitably comes a time when his ability to absorb and keep on absorbing continually rising expenses becomes exhausted unless he earns more for his services. That's the situation which faces the railroads today. The satisfactory solution of that problem is of paramount interest not only to the railroads, but also to the nation which depends on the railroads to supply the bulk of its essential transportation service. Here is Act Two of Springtime in Paris, a love story set to music, starring Gordon McRae as Mike, alias Michel, and Dorothy Warrenshold as Sarah, alias Seraphine. Paris in the spring, love is in the air, life's a love affair, and every pair of arms around their Oh, how I practiced up on my high school French, so Michelle would never find out that I was just a stenographer named Sarah Jones, instead of the glamorous Seraphine de la Croix. Me? I even tried to grow a beard to make me look more French. But it didn't make me look more French at all. Made me look like a bum. So, barefaced, with my heart dangling on my sleeve, I was Michel, the romantic Parisian. We went everywhere. Everywhere. He introduced me to Paris. Mademoiselle, permettez-moi. Allow me to introduce an old friend. A lovely lady. Two thousand years old, it is true. But as young as you, lovely Sarah Meet the lady known as Paris, France, halfway path aristocrat. Greet the lady known as Paris, France, kiss her hand, click your heels, tip your hat. Hear the beating of a happy heart, smell her perfume in the air. Bitter sweetness a la carte Touch the flowers that she wears in her hair She is oh, she 
is young. She is every song you've ever sung. She's the loo, she's pigal. She's a plague, a pal. She's really quite a gal. Watch the lady known as Paris, France. If you're frightened of romance, she may give you just a song and dance, but you will fall. You'll fall in love, in love with Paris. Meet the lady known as Paris, France, halfway half aristocrat. Meet the lady known as Paris, France. Kiss her hand, lick your heels, and tip your hat. Watch the lady known as Paris, France. If you're frightened of romance. Oh, how do you do, Paris? Come on, Talibou. But the time was coming when I had to go home. I tried to spend my money so that I wouldn't have enough to go. But, well, you can't keep make-believing for always. I knew that this was only a moment, only a month of April. A passing spring. And finally I had to tell her. Seraphine. Seraphine, I must go away. Where? Across the sea. You're joining the French Foreign Legion? No. No, my sweet. Well, tell me where you're going. I cannot tell you. But I shall watch the sea and dream of you. Every time I dream of something lovely. Oh, but there can't be a whole ocean between us. Not again. Somewhere beyond the sea. Somewhere waiting for me. My lover stands on golden sands and watches the ships that go sailing. Somewhere beyond the sea, he's there watching for me. And they say 
If you take one of the heart-shaped stones, no harm can ever come to your own true love. Oh, that's so lovely. Take me there, Michel. Quickly. Now. I want to cry. Listen, they say that the very wind calls their names. Michel, you mustn't go away. I must, my sweet. But here, take this heart-shaped stone. And you take one too, Michel. Dear Eloise, dear Abelard, don't let anything happen to our own true love. These heart-shaped stones, of white and brown, are keys to dreams in Paris Like this don't mean anything in real life. I'll never see him again, I know. Maybe it's for the best. Because never in a million years could I tell him that, that I'm not Seraphine de la Croix, but just a stenographer at Benson's department store in Omaha, Nebraska. And here I stand at the rail of a ship heading home. And I watch the moving sea. In my hand is a heart-shaped stone. I'll never see her again. But how could I ever tell her that I'm not Michelle? I'm just Mike Martin. And that when I get back home, there's a job waiting for me as a stock clerk at Benson's department store in Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs>
and gentlemen, and thanks to our entire company. Springtime in Paris is an original musical play by Lawrence and Lee. The Railroad Hour is brought to you each week at this time by the American Railroad. You know, Gordon, I just found out some things about you I didn't know. Uh, all good, of course. <laughs> How's that, Dorothy? Well, I just read the August issue of Radio Television Mirror. Your secretary, Betty Cooley, really did a wonderful behind-the-scenes story about you and your work on the Railroad Hour. And I especially like that big, smiling picture of you on the front cover. Well, Dorothy, I guess the secretary gets to know her boss about as well as anybody. And she did do a mighty fine job. Thank you, Betty Cooley. Where will we be next week, Gordon? Well, we're going to dig for gold, Dorothy, up in the high Sierras. <laughs> but next Monday is the world premiere of Roaring Camp, a new American light opera set to the filling music of Anton Dvorak. All aboard! Well, sir, it looks as though we're ready to pull out. And so until next week, this is Gordon McRae saying goodbye. <laughs> Gordon McRae can soon be seen in Warner Brothers on Moonlight Day. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. This is Marvin Miller saying goodbye until next week for the American Railroad. Now stay tuned for your Monday night of music on NBC. Igor Gorin on The Voice of Firestone, next on NBC.